0: From the back lot of Skywalker Ranch, it's the IGN DigiGuys. Please welcome two guys who were C-3PO's fluffer, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. So, yeah, no, not really the, uh, the back lot of Skywalker Ranch, but we, uh, we're not outdoors again. We're, we're back indoors. Still By the way. Form. Yes.
1: I just thought of this, and I want to say it now before I forget. Yeah. Uh, now, this is about a week ago. Yeah. This came out, but we didn't talk about it on last week's show. Right. Talking about Star Wars 7. Yes. J.J. Abrams. Shooting it on film. Shooting it on 35. Yes,
0: because you've got to get lens flare. You can't get lens flare he's when you not
1: shoot. He's not doing the lens flare. Don't go for the <laughs> lens flare joke. You've got to admit, he's going old school. And, get this, all practical. Not even, Probably not all practical. But as much as possible, practical sets. Shooting on on film, good. practical sets. I like that. That's the anti-Lucas. I love it. It's gonna be shot by it. the same guy who shot all of JJ's films.
0: I, I, it, good.
1: Yeah, that guy's good. not
0: bad. He's not bad. Yeah. Not great, but he's not bad. You know, we didn't get to uh, some of the emails that we had gotten about uh, about our two shows outside last week. These were my two favorite ones. Chevelle um, uh, Dixon wrote us and said the outdoor podcast didn't work out, but I like that you guys mixed it up. And uh, then he, he had a question for us about the uh, upcoming fall releases. He says he's looking forward to Spike Jones's Her with uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Yes, I saw it. Did, did
1: you see the trailer? I saw the trailer. It looks good, right? It looks really good. It does
0: look good. A lot of, a lot of movies look good, man. The new trailer for Inside Lewin Davis looks great. I just, I'm so excited. I'm going to be seeing the, uh, the Fifth Estate fairly soon, and Ooh. that's, yeah. And then he also asked us, what are our thoughts on Warner handling some of the Paramount catalog uh, to release on Blu-ray, which is not some, it's a, it's hundreds of titles. I like it. He says, "I think Paramount's being cheap, and this will be lucrative for Warner Brothers. Keep up the good work."
1: Yeah, I. Uh, uh, I, I kinda, Paramount does. If here's the thing, Paramount doesn't give a crap about their library. They don't. What What major studio will do a better here's job? Here's the thing:
0: Warner Brothers is not remastering these things. What they're doing is they're simply taking the elements that Paramount has on hand, and they're you know in, in and they're making Blu-rays from those those elements, which are already high def most of them. And uh, then the other ones, they're just releasing them with the artwork, and as is many of them from Warner Archive, they're they're taking things that were originally released as DVDs, making them DVD-Rs, um, because Warner Brothers has a perceived attachment to a community that likes old movies, and Paramount really sees movies as disposable. It's like fast food. If it's older than six months, it doesn't have any more value, and they don't really like their library, which is sad, because there's so much good stuff in the Paramount library.
1: Yeah, but it's not cool and awesome.
0: I know. And a lot of it, frankly, you know, remember Olive Films has been mining a lot of Paramount titles already. So it's, it's, you know, through Olive and through Warner Brothers, eventually all those Paramount titles that they don't give a crap about, we will get.
1: I mean, Olive will, I would argue that Olive, because they're a smaller company, yeah. might have more invested in doing a better job with these Paramount titles.
0: I agree. And then we had, we had a great email from Al in San Francisco. Why go back inside? The DigiGods must take their passionate podcast to the streets, but why cozily preach to the choir? For your next episode, I propose you and Mark take one or two day vacation to the mean or rather cranky streets of San Francisco Chinatown. Plop your gear right onto Grant Avenue sidewalk. Carry on with insider film industry talk while the herds of annoyed Chinese grocery shoppers rush and indifferently brush past you. Capture the authentic sounds of our sage but aimless grandpas. Hawking loogie and spitting at your feet with llama precision. Get scolded by bossy dowager storekeepers to get lost. Get drowned out for 20 minutes and run over by deafening lion dance groups. Gigging at restaurant grand openings. Mingle with Midwest tourists asking the most commonly asked question in the neighborhood. Y'all know where the best dim sum is? Mention loudly the virtues of the Joy Luck Club and get absolutely stumped. WTF looks bump from absolutely everyone around you. Tour the DVD shops to see how many of your just-announced titles have already been pirated. All this will add texture to the podcast. Post-show, stroll over to the overrated, overpriced Golden Gate Bakery and treat Mark to Don Tot, Egg Custard Pie, our go-to yellow trash grub. If, alas, Mark insists on recording in the more controlled environs of the interior, then how about my place? How do you feel about a moderate amount of hairballs and cat pee? Please consider, please, please.
1: I miss it. That's I one of the best it.
0: emails we've had in a long time. That made me laugh.
1: I have not been to San Francisco in a long time. I have
0: haven't either. We should go up and we should do that. Seriously we should.
1: We should do a show Bossy
0: Dowager Shopkeepers. I love it.
1: We should do a show from the plane. You know, it's about an hour from uh Oh man, LA to a podcast on the plane? Yes.
0: That would be great. Just put it out there. And, and see how long it takes for the, uh, the, the, the the stewards and the stewardesses to tell us to turn our gear off because it's interfering with the plane's guidance systems.
1: Can you imagine? Excuse me, ma'am, do you mind holding this uh, this little <laughs> soundboard, please? Uh, excuse me, sir. <laughs> uh, can you move over, please, and maybe sit, on the, sit in the aisle because uh, of these mics are taking up a lot of room?
0: Fantastic. Absolutely hysterical. So, uh, Mark, last week we did not get around to a lot of uh, uh, older movies, classic titles. And we've got a few of those, and uh, I would like to call attention to one that was already uh, previewed on the uh, the Facebook page. There was a, a rather lively discussion on the Facebook page about the movie Dolph uh, uh, Lundgren's movie Dark Angel, yeah, uh, which okay. was released in the United States as Do you remember?
1: Uh, dark Angel.
0: Come on, you, you know this. This the it, 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 it's. It, it, Angel one, Dark. It, one of the most priceless titles of, of its era. Uh,
1: I, I feel like I know this.
0: Oh, you should know this. I come in peace. Oh, yeah, that's right.
1: Yeah, baby.
0: Uh, but Dark Angel is the original title, the title under which it was released everywhere else. And uh, the, idea, the idea here is that uh, uh, Dolph Lundgren and Brian Benben. Brian Ben-Ben. Brian Ben-Ben. Um, he
1: was married... I think they're still married. He was married to Madeline Stowe.
0: Oh, yeah. I think they are still married.
1: Oh, she was so... You uh, know what I saw at the... Um, you know I saw, By the way, you know I saw in our offices uh, last week? Hmm. John Tesh and Connie Selica. Now, John Tesh looks exactly the same.
0: I know, which is... She made the... She jumped ship at the right time, because yeah, I remember at the time I was thinking, seriously, Connie, you're giving up Gil Gerard, Gil Hot Stuff, Rock and Roll, Disco, Dancing... Uh, you know Buck Rogers Buck Rogers in the 21st century 25th century really you're giving it. you're throwing in Gil Gerard for that like dorky guy with the hair have you seen Gil Gerard lately oh my god, he's fat he's fat and sweaty and like old and just pathetic looking and she still looks hot and John Tesh hasn't aged a day I
1: don't know man I don't know that that Connie looks hot Connie's had work done I looked at her she was on the cell phone you know Trying to have a private conversation, which, of course, I was not a help oh, in. Oh, 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 oh.
0: Speaking of, oh, my gosh. You know who's had work done? Like, the worst work ever? And it, and it happened within 12 months. Wait, Major? No, no. Kristen Chenoweth. Oh, my gosh. What I happened know. to her? She looks, like, she looks like one of the marionettes from uh, from Thunderbirds. <laughs> it's terrifying. Have you seen that? Seriously. I, I, actually, I have. She looks like one of the Thunderbirds puppets. It is it's the most sad thing I've ever seen. She used to be so cute, and now she's all kind of... Jerry Anderson super marinated out. It's just dreadful. I don't dreadful. know what
1: makes them do that.
0: I don't either. Well, anyway, uh, we're back to Dark Angel, otherwise known as I Come in Peace, which uh, stars Dolph Lundgren as a detective and Brian Benben as an FBI agent, and uh, they <laughs> have to their their work leads them to basically stop an, uh, a, a psychotic alien who is using human beings is basically he's using the Earth as a giant meth lab, and human beings are his meth. And they have to stop it or else aliens from all over, all over the universe will be coming to the earth to, like, get high on us or some, some damn thing. It's really, it's, it's, it's silly and stupid. And it's a cult film. I don't have the same fondness for it as some of our, some of our listeners and uh, members on the, uh, the Facebook page. But it is on Blu-ray. And uh, I, I... Here you go, Ed. Yes. I know. Tell the tell the it's, listeners it's, what you're it's, looking it. at. I'm looking at Kristen Chenoweth from 2007 to
1: 2013 on PlasticSurgery.com. Well, actually, no, it's PlasticSurgeryC.com, Probably because somebody already had PlasticSurgery.com. Yeah. Uh, so Kristen is uh, 42 years old, and uh, somehow I, I believe her chin can now chisel granite. Yes, yes, it can. I just it's think so that they, they all regret it. It's just stop it. I don't it's, know.
0: Uh, yeah, they need uh, to stop hell's it.
1: What's the point.
0: Uh, anyway, uh, this is you know what. Here's the thing about this movie: it is uh, it is not a great film, but it is it certainly has a, a cult following, and uh, it, it's just it's it's very much of its era. It's just one of those movies that that from you know one of those '80s '90s era science fiction kind of mid level schlockers. That's not unwatchable. It's not particularly great, but it's got enough kitschy elements, and it's a little bit offbeat enough that it's memorable. And you know, the Terminator would have been in that in that vein had it not kind of broken out. So it, uh, I, you know, I guilty pleasure. Why not? Sure. You know, why not? Um, and then uh, let's see. We got a um, double feature here that is, uh, I think, marginally to be recommended. This is from the uh, the Shout Factory label, Scream Factory. And I don't think these are particularly good films, but they're, they're kind of interesting on a certain level. They are historically significant, and uh, I think that's why they made them a double feature, because either one of these individually would not, uh, would not really work out. It is a Blu-ray DVD combo pack of the two films, X-Ray and Schizoid. Now, why are these uh, even remotely noteworthy at all? Well, uh, Schizoid is interesting only because it's got uh, Klaus Kinski in it and Klaus Kinski in anything is worth watching because he just brings this whole additional level of psychosis to to things that would otherwise be juvenile and completely uh, tawdry and uh, there's really nothing about a uh, you know a crazy scissor wielding murderer that that makes this movie even remotely unique but somehow Klaus Kinski as the uh, as a psychiatrist is interesting and you know it just makes the whole thing a little bit more watchable even though christopher lloyd is uh, deeply embarrassing in it and then uh x-ray you probably never heard of i'd never heard of it uh why is it worth watching you know why it's worth watching mark two words two words i'm going to give you two words why x-ray is worth watching those two words you know what those are
1: uh star wars
0: barbie benton eh. that's why it's worth watching uh, boy Barbie benton was she was a she was a hot number she was delicious back in the day i don 't uh, i don 't know what 's come of her i 'm afraid she 's probably had plastic surgery as well but nonetheless uh Barbie Benton makes it all worth watching just because you know she's she 's adorable and she 's a bad actress and it makes the whole thing kind of hysterically campy um, it, it, you know it 's another psycho killer movie and it all takes place in a hospital and uh the <laughs> The plot is ridiculous, but uh, come on. It's Klaus Kinski and Barbie Benton together again. That's what makes this a a good double feature.
1: Oh, wait, not a big fan of Mario uh, Bava.
0: I know. I always saddled you with the Mario Bava movies because I I can't stand them.
1: I know, you know, but this one is a bay of blood. Although I'm a big fan of Kino. I think Kino does a great job with all these films. I really like Kino a lot. And if you like these films, I mean, come on, man. You can't beat it. Mario Bava. Uh, I'm just not personally a, a fan. What... Is notable about uh, Bay of Blood is that um, it's uh, the makeup effects were by uh, Carlo uh, Rambaldi. Oh, that's right. Did you know that?
0: I, I, you know, I, I did e. know T. that. I did know that, but I'd forgotten.
1: E.T.? Yeah. A movie called E.T.? Yep. Alien? Yep. Uh, otherwise, this is just another uh, Mario Baba thing with a no-name Italian cast, and it's on Blu-ray and uh, DVD. Um, So, yeah, I don't know what to tell you, Wade. Yeah, Not into it, babe. It's really not my thing. That's fine. Also um, from Mario is Five Dolls for an August Moon. This one's from 1970. And it was never released theatrically in the U.S. um, So if you're a Bava fan, you're going to want to see this. You probably have not seen it. Uh, It's kind of a mystery. What do they call Like a drawing room? Yeah, the, the,
0: a, a, a drawing, yeah, I guess. Well, a drawing like a, room mystery. Yeah, it's like an sure. Agatha
1: Christie type sure. thing. We'll go with that. Um, so anyway, uh, $5 for an August moon. It's about the scientist who uh, invents this, uh, this thing that I will not uh, mention because I don't want to give away too much of it. Right. And uh, they've got all sorts of offers to buy it and then all, all heck breaks loose. So there you go. Again, uh, this is um, another Baba thing. There's a lot of cheesy... 70s, blood and guts and yeah. crazy effects. Um, not a fan of Mario Bava. However, I will say, in a movie that Wade's going to give me, <laughs> come on, you give me that? Why not? <laughs> really? <laughs> All right, Wade, don't give me the Fugitive. It's still,
0: it's still a great film. You know what? It, 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 it really film. is a good film. It yeah. really
1: is a good film. A Fugitive's terrific. Which I, is so
0: weird because it's it's the only you know TV adaptations, TV series turned into movies. Just Tend to be so crappy But this was You know and, and Andrew Davis I'm sorry Is not a good director He's not He just He did like that Crappy Chuck Norris movie Before this And he's made nothing But crappy movies afterwards He's not a good director But uh, somehow Everything came together And I think I think Here's my I'll let you Blather on in a moment But my view is They, they hired a, Their whole development Process on this Was to involve uh, Four or five Of the best Screenwriters in town And they all Brought something to it and it's one of those rare cases where they just, they got the screenwriter train, the rewrite mania. They somehow, it clicked for, in one of those rare cases.
1: That is true. Uh, big fan of The Fugitive, uh, Harrison Ford. Um, some features here that were ported over uh, from previous Blu-ray and DVD versions. I have to say, I know you're not a big fan of Andrew Davis, but uh, I'm going to recommend one of my, uh, a, a, just a terrific watch is from 1989, The Package. I thought it was a terrific film with Gene Hackman and Tommy Lee Jones. Um, I really like that movie, uh, The Package. But um, So I'm going to stand up for Andrew Davis in the sense of The Fugitive and The Package. Totally. Uh, that said, uh, I like this film a lot. Uh, is this transfer much better where you'd want to update it? Uh, I guess I'm going to say yes. It is a good transfer, and I do like this film. I, I think this might be one of Harrison Ford's last... Actual movies. <laughs> I like one of the last films Harrison Ford ever did. And by the way, on the Facebook page, we were uh, going uh, nutty crazy about how Harrison Ford has yep. taken all these supporting character roles. I know. Down. It's like he's thinking, you know what? I'm 70 years old. No one's going to hire me to be Superman anymore. Yeah. Uh, all the movies I do suck. He probably didn't think that. But, I real- I, but here's the thing, though. As a character actor, yep. I don't even know if I buy him. Do you buy him as a character? Do you buy no. him as Branch Rickey? No. Not in the least. You know? in the and least. and when, when, Here's the thing. When he did Cowboys and Aliens... I mm-hmm. thought that was a good move, even though, okay, the movie is the movie, but at the time, no one knows if the movie's going to be good or bad, mm-hmm. but at the time, he's taking a supporting role with a cool director, Jon Favreau, with a you know mid-career, super cool guy like Daniel Craig, and he's taking a supporting role. I thought that was a good move for him. Now, the movie didn't turn out to be that great, but I respected that Harrison Ford did that. That wound up being sort of the first salvo in this weird, late-career, supporting role thing he's got going on. So. You know, I hope so, because I was really anti Hazen Ford for a lot of years. He was just a paycheck actor to me, but um, one of his last paychecks, and one of the only ones where he earned it, is The Fugitive. Highly recommended.
0: You know, Mark, one of the great cult films of I see my- what you're holding. You do, don't you? Awful. One of the great cult films of the 1980s. Oh, my gosh, this is just so much fun. Uh, Q, The Winked Serpent. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is... This is a Sam Arkoff production, written and directed and produced by Larry Cohen. This is one of the last true Arkoff exploitation films, and one of the last true Larry Cohen exploitation films, uh, at least until he did original gangsters. But uh, Larry Cohen, of course, did a lot of black exploitation stuff. You know, like uh, Black Caesar. He uh, he, om- you know, he wrote Phone Booth, and Hitchcock was originally supposed to direct that, and then decades later, it winds up being a, a, a Joel Schum- Schumacher, a Joel Schumacher, Colin Farrell movie. Uh, just on the cusp of when it was almost like cell phones were you know becoming the, the ubiquitous at that point, and phone booths were starting to vanish, so you had to make it then or never and I think today people would look at it and go what's a phone booth but uh, anyway, Larry Cohen also significant because um, he is the brother of the late publicist Ronnie Chasen who was gunned down last year in that that infamous uh, event that uh, a lot of people still don't think has uh, you know the, the police have completely come clean on. But anyway, uh, Larry Cohen does a, a heck of a job with the uh, schlocky material of his own creation here. It's a silly movie. Let's face it; it's a really silly movie. But you, you know, you, you've got David Carradine, Richard Roundtree, Michael Moriarty, Candy Clark. Uh, I mean, you know, a, a pretty solid mid-level '80s era B celebrity cast that uh, makes this whole silliness uh, somehow perfectly acceptable. And it's fun. It's about a freaking dragon that lives in the Chrysler Building. Come on, how yeah. do you not love that?
1: Yeah, but it's still not <laughs> as good as uh, *Rain of Fire*.
0: It's no, not even close. But it's it's still it's it's fun, and it's pre CGI for crying out loud. It's silly, but it's a lot of fun. Of and
1: awesome.
0: then um, we have a li- our list of what movies does Paramount not care about today. I got a little stack here. We're gonna go right through them from Warner and Olive. These are the films that Paramount. Uh, has in its library and has deemed uh, utterly uh, worthless so it lets other companies release them. So this is what Paramount does not care about. Uh, from the Warner Archive collection now, three films are back in print that were originally Paramount releases on DVD and then discontinued. They were out of print for a few years. Now they're back. My Geisha, starring Shirley MacLaine and Eve Montant and Edward G. Robinson, uh, is a... Uh, it, it dates rather uh, middlingly but uh, Jack Cardiff directed it, written by Norman Krasna. Certainly, uh, you know, it's, it's got a following. It's a, it's a perfectly solid Shirley MacLaine vehicle from 1961 that's back in print. The, also with Yves Montal is the incredible On a Clear Day You Can See Forever, Barbara Streisand and Yves Montal, which I just think is a wonderful film, a total classic, uh, brilliantly written by uh, Alan J. Lerner, and uh, one of the last great Vincent Minnelli films. Frankly, I, I just think this is a lovely movie uh, You know, an existential romance And musical, and it's just, it's fantastic We all know the song, right? I mean, on, knocks out on. of the
1: park with that you, song How
0: does Paramount not see the value To that? They just, ah, oh, clear day That Streisand chick, the song Whatever, we got better things to do We got Adam Sandler movies to make Give me a break uh, And then Shirley MacLaine uh, Along with Dean Martin in All in a Night's Work Also from the Warner Archive Collection Uh, This is back in print and uh, originally based on a play by Margaret Vesci and Owen Elford. Um, So that's uh, not the best film that they've done. It's an interesting pairing. I don't know that there's a lot of great chemistry between them, but Shirley MacLaine is a lot of fun. And I love Dean Martin in just about anything, even if he's, you know, kind of subpar Dean Martin. And then on Blu-ray, because this movie is uh, clearly too old for Paramount to care anymore, is their remake of Shaft with uh, Samuel L. Jackson, directed by John Singleton. Not good. The original Shaft is way, way better. This was just a completely pointless film and a wasted opportunity uh, for uh, Christian Bale. I don't know why he's in this movie. Uh, It's just the strangest thing ever. But uh, you know what? This has never been on Blu-ray. Believe it or not, it is now on Blu-ray. Lame Man, Paramount You know it's
1: like They, they, they remake these movies and, and then they do Not only do they do Nothing with it I know They, they strip away All the uniqueness Of the original I know it's just Crazy It's another movie You can call it anything And that's really the, Here's the thing It's just They could have Slapped the name Shaft I Over know. any detective script Any, any where, script Where not even an African American detective it No It be a white detective They I could know. just make him African American Sure You know and Just call it Shaft Because it's pre-sold Pre-digested that it's easier easier to market Yep It's just really dispiriting I agree I don't think you do agree with. Him. I do agree. I think oh, you I do. Love Shaft with uh, Samuel Jackson. It's your favorite movie of all time.
0: We could play the song. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sterling Hayden. This is now we're into the Olive films. This is what Olive has mined mind from the Paramount Library. The Paramount doesn't care about Flat Top, which is a 1952 Sterling Hayden vehicle, uh, where he plays a uh, a Navy pilot uh, during World War II, and uh, it, you know it's pretty kind of standard, uh, just immediate post World War II flyboy stuff. Some pretty decent use of uh, you know the 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 effects work. It's not you know quite the top gun of its era, but it's pretty it's it's decent. Um, Some you know nicely put together. And Sterling Hayden, even though he was a complete lunatic, uh, this is of course pre Doctor Strangelove, uh, so he's not quite the lunatic that everybody would eventually understand him to be. But you know nonetheless, it's okay. Gregory Peck in *Only the Valiant*. This is fun. I actually uh, had some. I'd, I've seen this film before. I'd forgotten how much fun it is. This is from 1951, and uh, Gregory Peck plays a. Uh, the, he heads up a cavalry group, and um, it, he's not. It's not quite a, uh, a John Ford film. You know, we'd like to think of the cavalry films as all being John Ford films and John Wayne. This is directed by Gordon Douglas. It's uh, a little bit in the. It, you can tell they sort of want to emulate some of the uh, the John Ford stuff, but um, it, it's got a great cast: Ward Bond and Lon Chaney Jr. And uh, it's it's a uh, you know good looking movie. Great music from Franz Waxman. Yeah, I I, I think I, uh, I think I'm going to recommend that one. Penny Serenade. I'm just stunned. This is such a great movie. Irene Dunne and uh, and Cary Grant directed by George Stevens. This is a fabulous movie. This is so, so wonderful. Um, it was the third time that uh, George Stevens had directed Cary Grant and Irene Dunn. They were previously in uh, My Favorite Wife and The Awful Truth. And it's a, it, the chemistry is just impeccable. I never get tired of Irene Dunn. I just think she's one of the, the most endearing actresses of her generation. And uh, this is just a fantastic movie all around. I'm just amazed that one, that, that uh, 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 Paramount would say, uh, yeah, no, that's, uh, we can't really be bothered. And then lastly, The Great James Cagney in Kiss Tomorrow Goodbye, also directed by Gordon Douglas. Um, and uh, this is one of the best things that Cagney ever did. And you know, we uh, yeah, we like to think of him as you know Yankee Doodle uh, in uh, Yankee Doodle Dandy. And when he kind of st- when he played you know uh, when he's when he's kind of stretched, and he's not done the gangster roles. We like to think of those as being the great Cagney performances. Gotta tell you, I when Cagney is just nasty and mean and tough. That's when he's at his best. And I know that's just casting for type, but boy, he's good. He's awesome. It. He's so good in this. So um, this is a movie that is surprisingly mean and tough and nasty even today. And if you're a James Cagney fan, you do not want to miss this. Uh, Paramount has no idea what they lost. But nonetheless, it, it, it gets the pristine Blu-ray treatment from uh, Olive. And thank God Olive is out there. Keep getting them keep grabbing these movies this is 1950 and just beautiful black and white photography here too Gosh, it's such a good movie
1: well here's, here's the tragedy here's, here's another part of the tragedy yeah literally on December 3rd Warner Brothers as part of its you know 600 title deal with Paramount yeah. is going to release on Blu-ray a movie that Paramount had no use for it's I know what, we, we don't care about this movie what movie am I talking about Wade Terms of Endearment
0: I know. In terms of endearment. I know.
1: Oscar winning Best Picture. I know. Don't care. Meh, who cares? It makes Warner no Brothers, sense. You, you worry about that. We crunch the numbers. We don't care.
0: Makes no sense to it's, me. That's
1: that just, just horrible.
0: I know. It's mystifying. It is utterly mystifying. I don't understand it mystifies me on every conceivable level.
1: <laughs> wow. That's, a, that's a really uh, d- a full I
0: don't understand what Paramount's doing. I, I don't, just don't. It's, they, like, it's, it's like there's
1: nothing. I'm actually surprised that Disney cares enough about their library. I mean, their library is, like, priceless. I mean, all those are amazing. I'm surprised that Bob I think, cares.
0: I think Paramount just doesn't see... I think everything at Paramount is driven by Sumner Redstone. I would love to blame Brad Gray for everything, but you can't. I think everything is driven by Sumner Redstone. And when you read the Linda Obst book, you realize that Sumner Redstone... Is uh, he's he's just a cranky, crazy old ninety-something guy who thinks he's going to live forever, and who's just he's like living off of his his, you know megalomaniacal delusions of of uh, having you know being able to control the universe, and somehow everything is micromanaged, and if and everything is about pinching the pennies, and he expects immediate results from everything, and the idea of mining a library. For, you know, really putting effort and uh, time to kind of nurse and nurture the, 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 these films and an audience that will love old movies. That's, forget it. It's got to hit now. It's got to hit fast. It's got to drive the stock price up in about, you know, 24 hours. And if that, anything else is a waste of manpower. That's what I think it is. I think Paramount is just a complete immediacy-driven enterprise.
1: Well, also, when you think about, um, when you think about uh, national amusements, Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, that's a theater chain, yep. right, owned yep. by Redstone's son yep. at this point. Mm-hmm. I believe his name is Michael. Yep. So to, to him, to that family, part of the value of owning a movie company yep. is having not only the movies but having them run in theaters where they can make money on the concessions, and every, they own the theaters, they own yep. the land. Here's the thing, that what National Amusement said that was smart is they mm-hmm. don't just own the theaters, they own the land. I know. That's on the theaters. They yep. didn't buy the land from somebody else and build the theaters on top and pay a landlord. Yep. true. So they've been smart. But again, that's smart in a way that might be great for stockholders, but not good for movie lovers. True. Wait, there's a, hey, you gave me this earlier, and I, haven't, I didn't talk about it yet. This is kind of a one-off.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Because you know I don't really uh, think about the Mets anymore because they're terrible. Although, um, uh, the Dodgers. Oh, Wade.
0: Yeah, I'm not following any of this. I I have a child. What's going on in the the world of uh, of baseball? uh, Somebody uh, somebody uh, made a touchdown?
1: I went. I'm going to say that I went to the most amazing baseball game ever in the history of the world. Dodger game. Here's why I went. I'm not a big bobblehead fan, Wade. Don't like the bobbleheads. Don't get it. They're they're kitschy and sometimes they're cute, but don't want to own one. But you know what? I now own a bobblehead. Because I really, really wanted to go. To the very exciting Rick Monday saving the flag bobblehead night.
0: I have no idea what that means.
1: Do you? You do not know that story about how Rick Monday saved the American flag? No. Really?
0: No. What did he do? Oh my God! Wait,
1: you're
0: so adamant. I'm sorry. It's
1: 1976. Okay. 1976. Wade. Now, Rick Monday, as you know, is a current Dodger yeah. broadcaster. Uh huh. But in 1976, Rick Monday was playing for the Chicago Cubs. Mm-hmm. Cubs are in LA. Right. Play the Dodgers. Sure. Right. So. As the game goes on, this is April 25th, 1976, a guy, civilian, and his 11 year old son run onto the field, 1976, in okay. the Vietnam War. Okay. Run onto the field, whip out an American flag and a lighter. Oh my gosh. they light the American flag on fire okay. in the middle of Dodger Stadium, beautiful April day. Before they can do it, what happens, Wade? Rick Monday. Storms on the... uh, And throws
0: himself on the flame.
1: (laughs) No. He runs up and he grabs the American flag from those two guys.
0: No kidding. Yes.
1: And when he grabbed the American flag from those two guys, it was seen as... Again, this is 1976. It was seen as a very patriotic act. Here's Rick Monday saving the American flag from these two guys who were going to burn the flag. And it became one of the iconic moments. Actually, the video of it is on YouTube. If you go to YouTube and look up, you know, Rick Monday saves the flag or something, you can find it. And Vince Scully did the call. So it's great. So I got Wade, the Rick Monday saving the American flag well, that's bobblehead. that's hysterical. That's it. Rick Monday flag saved bobblehead.
0: Well, that, that's actually a cool story. Thank you very much. That's a cool story. Thank you very much. I like that story.
1: So, all right. In lieu of talking about that even more, <laughs> okay. we'll talk about um, MLB 25 greatest postseason home runs. Uh, I like this disc. I mean, I wouldn't buy it. I mean, I guess if you're a baseball super completist, you got to buy it. I'm a, yeah. I love baseball obviously, but, uh, I do like this disc because every one of these home runs is so awesome and you just got to know what number one is. And if you live, with, if you lived in Los Angeles as a kid, which, which I did a very, very young, well, actually, you know what? Yeah. Kind of kind of a young kid. You remember Kirk Gibson? Sure. And his amazing home run. Sure. I,
0: I, I remember that. That, that's like the, that was one of the only times I've actually stood, sat down and watched baseball. And I, I was like, did I really just see a crippled guy deliver a walk-off Grand Slam, a walk-on Grand Slam? Did that really just happen in uh, the, in the World gra- Series? It was
1: not a Grand Slam, nice try. but Wasn't it? No. Just but a home run? It was a home run. I didn't see. But, uh, that. In my, in my memory, it was a Grand base. Slam. One man on base. But uh, uh. he was crippled. In fact, he barely made it. But he won over, the game. He, yes. Yeah. In fact, see. he barely made it around the bases.
0: That yeah, was, was, so cool. yeah, was
1: unbelievable. Uh, Reggie Jackson, three home runs in a game. The Joe Carter, uh, Toronto Blue Jays home run that won the series for them. Uh, it, uh, look, uh, it, it was it was it was definitely a fun watch. Do you want to buy it? Uh, yeah, sure, if you're a baseball completist. Um, uh, but I'll, I wouldn't want to buy MLB 25 Greatest Postseason Home Runs. But I did enjoy watching it. Nice, thank you. Uh wait, I'm a big fan of Michael Shannon. Michael Shannon is. Um,
0: He's kind of come on, hasn't he?
1: he yes. He is in, uh, He was in Take Shelter, my favorite film of uh, last year. Love that movie. He was also in uh, Mud, which is uh, that director's uh, uh, new film, yep. which I liked a lot with Pretty Michael great. McConaughey. Pretty great. The other film he uh, top-lined this year is The Iceman, and The Iceman is a very intense little film where Michael Shannon plays a uh, contract killer. Now you're saying, oh, another movie about a contract killer, and bam, bam, whatever. Uh, this has a lot more going on. Uh, it, you know what's funny when, when, I was, when I first read about it I kind of flashed to Dexter I don't know why You know Dexter's a serial killer He's a cop who tracks down serial killers And he's a serial killer tracking down serial killers it's Like yeah blah blah whatever This guy is a A uh, contract killer Who's also a devoted husband and father He's you know living the White picket fence life So there's some interesting stuff going on there uh, not a bad film Kind of intense Good mob stuff Really liked it uh, The Iceman A little film Probably missed it Got a good cast Winona Ryder uh, James Franco uh, Ray Liotta And Chris Evans I have to say Chris Evans will occasionally Do a decent film Chris Evans will sometimes Do like a real movie
0: Yeah He, 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 he has the judgment that uh, other actors that look like him don't necessarily have. I'm sure his he will. He will put, He will do hair and makeup and uh, and try to actually stretch a little.
1: I'm sure his management is like, why are you doing that? But, you know Mark what? the Lords sure of
0: that. the Lords of Salem uh, with this lovely lenticular cover is not a, a 3D movie. It is on Blu-ray, DVD, and Ultraviolet. However, it's 4 And and, and uh, it's a Rob Zombie movie, yeah. and which means you know that it's it's going it, to Rob Zombie. Basically, here's the thing: Rob Zombie and the RZA have one thing in common they're music industry guys who have such an affection for a certain genre they are almost encyclopedic in their obsession with that genre now for the RZA the RZA knows more about Hong Kong martial arts movies than I think I ever will it's bizarre what a scholar he is of those things uh what up Bill Murray and there's a RZA reference I bet you didn't get that did you
1: Uh, that's from the uh film that is yes what
0: up Bill Murray uh, gosh, that's funny. Bill Murray actually as himself working as a waiter in a restaurant and, and the RZA just happens to be there. It just awesome. it slays me. It's so damn funny. Anyway, uh, Lords of Salem is Rob Zombie going back to his horror roots, which is, you know, a, like 70s style low budget schlocky horror. And I swear, there's nothing in this movie... If you didn't know better, you would swear this movie was made in, like, 1972. And it, it, but it looks, that, that's it looks what he like, wants. That's what he wants. Uh, it's utterly silly. I, I, feel, I feel really bad for D. Wallace Stone because, you know, here's the mom in E.T., and here we are all these years later, and now she's relegated to doing crap like this again after, you know, E.T. and then Cujo. And it's, it's like, it was just a steady decline with her career. Uh, E.T. was the pinnacle. But anyway, this, the idea here is just really silly. It's about this woman who's a DJ... And um, she gets this record. She's a late night DJ, right? And she gets a record that is this psychotic-sounding, eerie kind of culty horror music, which uh, is meant to sort of summon uh, the 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 the. It's meant to summon powers from the era of the Salem witch trials and to bring them back into the present and bring the evil. you know, and blah, 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 blah. You know, it's, it's very cheesy. It's very 72. It feels very schlocky genre. I guess if you like this kind of thing, I never found it scary. I, I thought it got silly at a certain point. But again, I get what Rob Zombie's going for. And, uh, you know, I guess it's, it's some people's taste. It ain't mine. And, uh, let's see. Um, from up on Poppy Hill is the uh, astonishing new film from uh, Hayao Miyazaki, not directed by Hayao Miyazaki, but written by Hayao Miyazaki and directed by Goro Miyazaki. Nonetheless, uh, this is a uh, a Miyazaki film in almost every conceivable way, and it is a wonderful movie. Uh, I'm thrilled that uh, somebody is releasing the Studio Ghibli stuff again. This is coming out through Cinedigm, not through Disney, who had the previous license with a lot of uh, Studio Ghibli stuff. And uh, this is just sweet. I don't know why this didn't get a proper uh, theatrical release. It should have. Uh, this would have done extremely well in theaters. But as it is, it's going to have to kind of claw its way to an audience uh, here. This, is, uh, this takes place just um, in the, kind of in the emerging from the ashes, the 1963 ashes of um, uh, World War II and uh, on the eve of the Olympics. And it's in the city of Yokohama and uh, it's about uh, a couple of high school students who, um, and the relationship that they develop. And I'll leave it at that. And I know that sounds like, well, what does that have to do with animation? You know what? It's a beautiful script, and it's beautifully animated, and it is uh, is a lovely, lovely film. And uh, you should definitely check it out. It is a special edition Blu-ray DVD combo and some uh, decent voice casting. I have to say I'm not thrilled with all the English language voice casting, uh, if, but you're, most of it is fine uh, Anton Yelchin a lot better than I normally expect him to be Jillian Anderson uh, Bo Bridges Jamie Lee Curtis Bruce Dern you're going to recognize a lot of voices here uh, Chris Noth Ron Howard believe it or not actually even contributed some, some voice work so uh, great stuff a lot, of, a lot of bonus features here if you want to watch the original Japanese version that is here as well most people probably won't but um, uh, it's really good it's really really good might, might be one of the top two or three titles this week. What? There you go. Uh,
1: we had a couple of uh, okay films this week. Probably slipped under your radar, starring uh, big, big peeps. Arthur Newman uh, is a uh, new film with Colin Firth and Emily Blunt. This is an interesting little movie. I don't know if it's totally successful, but uh, it hits on themes that I think we can all kind of uh, relate to. Colin Firth plays a guy who's very dissatisfied with his life, so he fakes his own death. And I know that sounds kind of stupid, but... It's all in the service of these themes of reinvention and whatnot. He fakes his own death and uh, decides to start all over again as a guy named Arthur Newman. And while uh, doing this, he winds up meeting a woman, played by Emily Blunt, who kind of wants to do the same thing in a sense. So they kind of, uh, there's some romantic flirtation there and their lives sort of have some, you know, cross-connecting currents uh, where each one sort of responds to the other for similar reasons. And I thought it was kind of interesting, actually. I I, I have to say I didn't. Uh, I don't. I can see this not getting a theatrical only because it's a little hard to market. When you normally say fakes his own death, you think of uh, you know some thriller thing where a guy fakes his own death. But um, there's some interesting emotions there. It's a very hard role to play because they are sort of playing two different people. They're, you know, they're both playing the person they used to be and the person they're trying to be now. So it's uh, it's not bad. You know, it's Arthur Newman. Also, uh, Petunia from uh, the good folks at Wolf Video. This is Thor Birch, Christine Lottie, and Brittany Snow. Um, I was not a huge fan of this movie. I can see why it didn't get much of a uh, theatrical. It's one of those like you know dysfunctional family things where everybody is uh, you know swallowing their real feelings and once. Old bitterness comes out. It all gets. Their whole family goes pear-shaped, and it just. Your really <laughs>
0: family goes pear-shaped. You ever,
1: you've never heard that. Pear-shaped? No, that's actually an English phrase. Is it? Yeah, when things go pear-shaped. Oh my goodness, i never that, heard that. Things go. You know, you know. what? That's that's the English version of things going belly up.
0: Okay, gotcha.
1: So I, right. I wasn't really into it. Um, yes, Wade. Uh, well, things? go ahead.
0: I got I got a couple of a couple of things I was going to wrap out the uh, the new newish films with,
1: but go ahead. I like the idea that now you see me. I did did not.
0: I did not see it. So should should I watch it?
1: Uh, it, This feels to me like a good old fashioned time at the movies, and that's it. It's unassuming, but it's kind of fun, a little bit clever, a little bit cheesy, but it just feels like something that you would see like in the eighties. You know that cool little movie that you happen to catch uh, as the second half of the double feature when it was raining, right? And you were surprised that it was that good. Okay. You know? all right. It's an interesting film. It's got a good cast: Jesse Eisenberg, Mark Ruffalo, Woody Harrelson. Some of these guys work for like a day.
0: Is 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 uh, is um uh, Christopher Walken in it?
1: Is Christopher Walken in it?
0: Well, I mean, I just usually when I hear about that kind of a movie, I, I assume Christopher Walken's in it because those are the movies he always shows up in.
1: He is. He's not in this one. Okay. You, you, you need to get off your Christopher Walken kick. I know how wow. much you love him. Wow. I know. He's the best.
0: That's my. That's the only Christopher Walken impression I can do.
1: So no. Wow. So no other dialogue.
0: No. no. Just wow. Uh, it
1: just. It, it just feels like it's. Look, it's about a bunch of ma- a bunch of magicians and uh, illusionists who use their illusion illusiony powers to run some cons, commit some crimes, and it just feels like a lot of old school, disposable, but totally fun. Just okay. coolness. All right, that's all it is. It's very unassuming, and I kind of wish more films would be like this. And I'm glad it opened at number one because you know what? It's not a superhero film. You know, it's not 200 million dollars, but it's got a good cast. It's a good fun. It's a great Saturday matinee-ish, old school type of movie. Groovy. Now you see me. All
0: right, uh, I will let you wrap out with that next one that you've got in your hands, and I'm going to make mention of two movies that I just pulled out because I always I always love it when this happens when we'll get two movies being released the same week. And I look at them and I go, seriously? How is it possible two movies get released in the same week and have exactly the same artwork on the cover? How is this possible? It happens all the time. I know. Well, it's usually somebody holding a gun. It's, you know, it's usually some guy sticking a gun. This one, it's, it's just bizarre. It's the, uh, it's the old uh, two people lying in bed overhead shot. One of them's awake, the other one's asleep shot. It, one of them is a gay film, the other one's not. Uh, doesn't matter. Neither one of them's particularly good. The, uh, so the, the Blu-ray here, one of them's a DVD, one of them's a Blu-ray. The Blu-ray is slightly single in L.A., and it's got Lacey Chabert. There she is lying in bed with this look like, what have I done while some schlub lies next to her fast asleep? And the whole thing is she's just moved to L.A. and uh, you know to try to just start her life over and get sucked into this just horrible love triangle. And it's supposed to be funny and charming and quirky, and it, not, it never is. Lacey Chabert is wonderful. I think she's a great actress. I think she's just delightful on screen. And even when things are crappy, I can always watch her and I kind of suspend my uh, my disdain for, for bad writing. I think Wellgo Entertainment picked this up just because it was probably affordable and they thought they could uh, make a, a couple of bucks off it. And they probably will because Lacey Chabert is charming. Uh, Chris Catan shows up in this thing too, which is just bizarre. Uh, I don't know what he's doing with his career. Somebody needs to guide him. Uh, Beyond the Walls is uh, is the same kind of cover as a guy lying in bed looking up. What have I done? And some guy next to him uh, with his arm on him. He's asleep. And uh, this is the, the one of those. Uh, it's kind of boilerplate Strand uh, gay audience stuff. Nothing remarkable. Not a bad film. But you know you would expect this to play an outfest or something like that. And uh, you know it's about a guy who uh, you know he's a pianist. He meets a bass player. And uh, falls in love with him. His girlfriend uh, boots him out. And then he, you know, through a series of circumstances, he winds up basically being without anybody. It's, it's meant to be a little bit poignant and, uh, and kind of sexy. I, but it's, it's really unremarkable. There's trillions of other films out there just like it. It's competent, but not remarkable.
1: Uh, speaking of uh, not remarkable, Empire State is a horrible yeah. film. Horrible film.
0: Yeah. Straight to DVDs. Outstanding.
1: With, um, Uh, Liam Hemsworth he's one of the 17 Hemsworth brothers I I don't know who they are at this point (laughs) they are kind of endless aren't they they really are yeah Um, Emma Roberts and uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson and I like Dwayne the Rock Johnson I think that guy's cool I do I think he he can be a charming actor but he wants to be anyway uh, this is a bunch of crap about uh, Liam Hemsworth plays this uh, he plays this kid who doesn't get into the police academy so he becomes a um, he becomes a uh, security guard in an armored truck company and of course inside armor trucks are lots and lots of cash. Mm. So from there you get uh, this cash heist saga that is really deserves to go exactly where it went, which is straight to video. Nice. So I'm not a fan of Empire State as much as you may like Dwayne Johnson and or uh, Liam Hemsworth. I
0: just love the fact that his name is Dwayne and you would never make fun of his name or he will bust your butt. <laughs> you said Bud. Yes, I did. All right, uh, Mark. Foreign language films. What? Shall we? Shall we? Shall we tackle some foreign language stuff? we ah. We got some good foreign language.
1: You, 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 the, the the pile is next
0: to you. Yes, we got some good fories. We got some good foreignies.
1: Um, the
0: you know Criterion has given us a gift this week. Gift for fans of uh, amazing filmmakers of the nineteen sixties. First off, Eclipse Series thirty nine. I cannot believe we are already up to thirty nine volumes of Eclipse titles. Uh, this is early Fassbender. Eclipse Series Thirty Nine. It includes the Fassbender films: Love Is Colder Than Death, Katzelmacher, Gods of the Plague, The American Soldier, Beware of a Holy Whore. The thing that is so amazing about this is that all of these films were previously out a million years ago on uh, on DVD, and uh, they all went out of print very quickly. They were part of the Wellspring Media Collection at the time, which was you know went by a number of different titles over over time. It eventually became Wellspring. That was kind of the name that it. Uh, the the label settled on and they were all part of that they were they were okay they weren't great transfers but they were the only transfer the films available and they had their Fossbinder collection and people sucked them all up and then they went out of print when they lost the license and then these things were going for like 150 dollars on on ebay and and elsewhere and uh you know it it just got insane at a certain point why am i look why do i want to have you know a $150 badly transferred Blu-ray of Beware of a Holy Whore. Well, you don't have to anymore. Now you can laugh at those people because you can go out and pick up your Eclipse Series 39, early Fossbender, and they are all in one set. And it is worth it. These are really, really interesting films. Um, not necessarily the best Fossbender films, but some of them are really... They, they all have his themes and his obsessions and the evolution of his style. And uh, I think in particular, um, Love is Colder Than Death is, is, is pretty great. And that, is his, that was his first film. And you watch it and you're like, this guy has got some serious issues and some serious chops. And uh, I want to see what comes of the rest of his stuff. So uh, every one of these is worth checking out. It is, a, it is a great box set to have. Also from Criterion, two... And this is just so amazing to me, too, from Satyajit Ray, or Satyajit Ray, however you want to pronounce it. I'm not uh, even going to try to do justice to the Bengali dialect, but uh, Ray is one of the great filmmakers of all time. The Apu Trilogy is out there. The rest of his films are not. And they were restored uh, courtesy of, the, uh, uh, of, an, of you know a, a great restoration effort, primarily spearheaded years ago by Merchant Ivory, before all the films were re-released theatrically. And uh, now they are finally coming out. We've got The Big City, otherwise known as Mahanagar, and Sharulata. Uh, these were made in uh, 1963 and 1964, respectively. And they are freaking brilliant. They are both taken from 2K digital transfers. And uh, if you are not familiar with Ray's films, um, you've got to check these out. Even if you haven't seen the Apu trilogy, which is kind of the great way of introducing yourself to Ray's stuff, it, you can watch any of them Sharulata uh, is particularly touching it is uh, it takes place in late nineteenth century uh, India and uh, it is uh, it's a it's a woman's picture in every conceivable way but it's it, it just it gives you it immerses you in uh, in the struggles and in the anxieties and in the experience of this this one woman um, and uh, it's just it's extraordinary um it's poetic it's beautiful. And uh, it's just great, great filmmaking. It's just of the most delicate kind of filmmaking. It's wonderful. And then uh, the big city is um, equally poetic, but this is much more about. Um, it's it's more. It, it deals with a different kind of family dynamic, and um, equally powerful on many levels. The extras here are uh, are fantastic. You get archival uh, audio stuff featuring Ray. You get um, uh, on the on uh, the big city. Uh, a thing called The Coward which is a short film um, from 1965 that Ray made where he talks about female identity in, uh, in, uh, in India and um, it's great you gotta just you gotta check it out these films are just so wonderful the transfers are fantastic uh, Blu-ray is a must they're on DVD as well but if you don't see it on Blu-ray you're not it's like it's just glorious
1: have I said that enough it's glorious say it one more time
0: glorious very good
1: uh, Wade, um, in the spirit of Life of Pi, which I'm a huge fan of. Yes. And even um, Hitchcock's Lifeboat. Yes. We have uh, Contiki now.
0: Oh, which got an Oscar nomination last year.
1: Yes, Contiki is a, uh, here's the setup for Contiki. It's a good film. Yeah. I liked it. There was a theory in the 1940s. Yeah. Floated by the scientist. Now stay with me. Yeah. That the Polynesian Islands were originally populated, not with people from Asia. Yes. Which was a lot closer, the Polynesian Islands. Okay, but people from South America, which is over like four thousand miles away. Wow. So this Norwegian scientist sets out to prove.
0: Tor Heyerdahl.
1: Yes. That a. The raw. It is possible. Yes. For a guy from South America to make his way forty-three hundred miles. Yeah. To Polynesia. Yeah. And he did that in the most impossible, incredible way possible. On a raft. He did it on a balsa wood raft.
0: That's pretty sweet.
1: Him, and I think it was like five or six others.
0: You know, the original documentary about the original Kontiki won an Academy Award.
1: And yet this one yeah. only yeah, got a nomination.
0: Best, yes, but this is, you know, dr- a dramatization.
1: I uh, did like this film. I kind of wish that even though you're on the boat with like six other people, and there's nothing else to do but learn about them. You don't learn much about them, but um, I, did, I did like the physical filmmaking part of it. I thought that uh, the life, the uh, the raft stuff... It Was very exciting. Of course, they come up against sharks and waves and all sorts of uh, all sorts of you know conflicts that would maybe scuttle their attempt and possibly end their lives. Um, but that said, I think it's a terrific uh, movie. It's Sweet. uh Kan Tiki.
0: Nice. You know, uh, a few weeks ago, they released the family-friendly version of the Extraordinary Adventures of Del Blanc Sec. And now we have the director's cut on a Blu-ray, DVD, digital copy combo set of The Extraordinary Adventures of Del sec which is a Luc Besson film that was not theatrically released here. Uh, and uh, I think it's just too bad because this is a true story, by the way, set in 1912, about, uh, in which an ancient uh, pterodactyl egg actually hatches. True story. And um, the, uh, the pterodactyl uh, reigns terror on uh, on Paris, it's a little bit like Q, the Winged Serpent, except set in Paris and with a pterodactyl. And this actually happened in 1912. You know about this, right? I do. It's all there's this there, there are photographs and their newsreels and the whole thing. It actually happened. It's a true story. And uh, anyway, uh, the uh, the the whole point of this it is based on a series of books that are. I mean come on look at the look at the picture she's like riding a pterodactyl that's awesome isn't that awesome
1: it's a documentary uh,
0: it's a documentary the uh th- this is basically um, based on, on uh, some very popular fantasy books that kind of sit somewhere between the like for the French between the Chronicles of Narnia and Indiana Jones and uh, with a female you know uh, with a heroine kind of running the whole thing and uh i I think they should have tried to get some traction for this but they didn't want to release it theatrically, uh, apparently believing that no, it would just take too much work to generate American interest in a foreign language film with all of these very, very odd peculiarities. There's a little bit of, uh, I guess there's a little bit of um, uh, Baron Munchausen in, in this as well. But you know what? Luc Besson has made some real crap in recent years where he didn't seem to care about anything. I've got to tell you, this feels like he cares about this more than anything he's done in a long time. And uh, it really does have a little bit of that uh, Baron Munchausen-y, uh, uh, Indiana Jonesy kind of feel to it. And I, uh, I, th- I think they did a pretty darn good job. So I'm sorry this didn't get a better release, uh, didn't get an actual theatrical release. But uh, forget about the family-friendly version. You want to check this one out. It's uh, 107 minutes, not too long by any means, and really beautiful widescreen. Very nicely put together, quite engaging.
1: Wait, you know what else is engaging?
0: What's engaging?
1: A movie called Reality. Uh, I don't know if you saw this film. You know, I, I have quite a healthy disdain for reality television. So yes. So I like any movie that uh, makes fun of reality television. Of course. Even if it's kind of like, uh, like an Italian-y kind of movie. Ah, uh, yes. Now, uh, in 2008, there was a film called uh, Gomorrah.
0: Oh, I hated that Which I everyone, liked a lot Everyone loved that movie I I forget, Oh, you. the Matteo Garone movie
1: Matteo Garrone. Did he do is this too? Yes, he I did this guess. too Which means you're gonna hate it
0: Gosh, I hated that Everyone's like, oh my gosh It's the ultimate mob movie Oh, it just does what The Godfather and the others Like only scraps of service I, Like 45 minutes into that movie I was falling asleep It was like nothing happens Well, It's dreadfully boring I don't. You'll have to explain to me Why it's great
1: Well, no, no his, uh, People who say it's like Better than The Godfather oh. Out of their minds I mean, it's just a good One of those sorts of films and Nothing okay. happens.
0: Yes. Nothing happens.
1: People get shot. It's all about people getting shot. Okay. Anyway, um, in the uh, film, um, the main character is a fishmonger who gets um, cast on a on Big Brother. Is it the Italian Big Brother? So the movie does have a lot to say about uh, you know the nature of fame and uh, and being on TV and and that kind of stuff. And of course, you know, you have like. People who want to be famous versus sure. pe- versus fans who obsess over you, although they don't really know you. So, it's it has a lot. There's a lot of satire there, yeah. and which I enjoyed. And it's interesting to get that. It's interesting to get that take from a film that is not an American homegrown film. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost getting the, a European take on reality television and our obsession with fame. And so, in that sense, I thought it was interesting. It was looking at it from a different way. And it's pretty funny And it can be pretty frank And I thought it was an interesting movie I do think that uh, Garoni is a good filmmaker So I would yeah. recommend Reality Thank you
0: Okay uh, you, you go ahead and recommend from the, that
1: From the good folks at Oscilloscope All Which right. means they have eco-friendly packaging
0: Yeah, that's fantastic Wow uh, I, just, I just don't like his movies What can I tell you? Uh, you know what? Let's uh, do some television. Actually, I want to make uh, mention of a, of a couple of uh, documentaries really quickly here. Actually, hold on. Let me uh, just blow through three documentaries real quickly. We can cover the others another week. Uh, Koch uh, from Zeitgeist Films. This is the uh, Ed Koch documentary. Enormously controversial figure. on. I mean, he Saturday. died like,
1: right, I know. right before right after it came out.
0: Right, Right as it was coming out. Uh, Zeitgeist uh, really kind of put it on the line because Koch is such a controversial figure. It's amazing, you know. This is a Democrat who governed as a Democrat, but somehow it wound up supporting George Bush you know many years after the fact obviously uh, the war on terror incurred the wrath of, of, of gay activists for ignoring the AIDS crisis even though he was rumored to be a closeted gay man I mean like there's so many nuances to this it is such a dramatic thing and I remember you know when Ed Koch would make those guest appearances on Saturday Night Live plugging his books and you know just really chewing the scenery this is a—he's a fascinating figure and such a controversial figure, and um, you know he he governed New York from '78 to '89—a really uh, a, a really pivotal period.
1: Look, I mean, and he he paved the way for Giuliani. If, he did. If Giuliani's the one who really cleaned up New York,
0: but he, there would be no Giuliani without Koch. That's right. Yep, absolutely. Even though some
1: of Koch's views, especially True. now again, look here's the thing—you uh, know, Ronald Reagan also pretty much ignored the AIDS crisis. True. And if you see the great documentary. Um, uh,
0: the, the, uh, the, the memories of a what Keisha. was it no no it's, uh, the, the oh, stories from the quilt what is no it? it's the
1: one that was from last year that was yeah, so good yeah, oh yeah, how to yeah. survive a plague. that's it uh, play they get into Thank that you. there and Kochu, was a democrat did the same thing he ignored yep. it too so I, uh, I don't agree with everything that guy was about but i have to say that he paved the way for juliana to come in yep, there and make absolutely uh, and yes okay look as someone someone was born in new york i have to say that he did turn the city into disneyland but even well, it, though, was, in,
0: it, was, it was like porn land I, I, before I, that. It was, it was strip club I, I land. It was peep show you know, land. I have
1: to say, I'll I mean, just say you this know. quickly. As somebody who moved away from New York when he was a kid but would go back every summer to see the family, mm. uh, yes, I would walk through Times Square and I would put my jewelry in my sock, okay? <laughs> As I walked through Times Square, I would do that. But now that it's gone the other way, even though it is obviously much better, safer is always better, there is a certain... Uh, there's, there's a certain low rent charm yeah. to what New York used to be and there's a certain pride that New Yorkers used to feel for surviving the city and we sort of lost some of that because mm-hmm. now it's all nice and safe however if you think it's too safe go go live in the Bronx
0: go live in the Bronx and get shot I agree uh, the other two docs I'm going to give a quick mention to before we uh, kind of blow out on uh, some television uh, "Some" S-O-M-M is a terrific documentary from uh, First Run Features Uh, That is about a bunch of people who are trying to uh, pass the court of master sommelier and become, you know, master sommeliers, which is which are basically guys who are wine experts. And you have all kinds of opportunities at that point. I mean, there are only a handful of these guys in the world where they can. it's, It's just unbelievable when you see what this actually entails, like going through law school and med school back to back is not this difficult. I mean these guys have to know they have to be able to the test is here's a glass of wine uh, I want you to, in a second. Tell me uh, not only uh, what the wine is, but tell me the year that it was done. Uh, tell me what you taste and describe the taste. Tell me. And, and these some of these guys will tell you, yeah, this comes from the such and such winery in the such and such valley of Romania, and it was uh, it was a bad year. It was like nineteen sixty two, and they had a drought that year. And it's un- and then they'll they'll go on and for like forty five seconds. They'll describe exactly how it tastes. It's a little bit dry. Da, da, da. It's unreal. It's unbelievable. I mean some people obsess on wine to a degree like you know sideways I think okay you know get a life these guys this is unreal this is just above and beyond it's incredible anyway really fascinating such a diverse bunch of people and uh, it's just it's just something it's a world I had no idea even existed and uh, I was I actually met one of the guys as it happens when uh, we were covering this on uh, NPR one of the guys from the movie was, uh, was on for an interview with Larry Mantle right after the show and I was like dude So I'm I'm in awe. I'm just in awe. And the last doc is Stories We Tell from Sarah Polly, which is, uh, you would think this is just narcissism through the roof to the nth degree. Sarah Polly made a documentary about her own family. Oh, great. How interesting can your family be? You know what? Pretty damn interesting. Uh, You suddenly start to understand what makes Sarah Polly tick. It is, uh, it is really extraordinary. She comes from a family with all kinds of dramatic ins and outs and nuances. And uh, suffice to say, I'll give you only one spoiler. Sarah Polly might not have been alive today. She was almost aborted. And this is not a movie about abortion. This is not an anti-abortion movie. I'm just saying. That's part of the family story. And uh, it, is, it's a, it's, it is a fascinating, fascinating. It's a little bit navel-gazing at a certain point. But uh, boy, I'll tell you Sarah Polly is a gifted filmmaker I have not liked all of her movies I thought she's a little bit indulgent sometimes But one of these days she's going to put it all together In something that's really going to impress me Just saying she's One of these days she's going to really, really put it together And uh, d- Television You know Revenge is in its second season and uh, it starts up again in the fall and they are priming everybody for that pump by releasing the second season on DVD everything on this show uh, entirely revolves around the performances and I I find the premise to be largely uh, rather silly but um, it's a great cast and um, you know you can watch any episode. I've, I've watched two or three of the episodes from the second season. I don't entirely understand everything that's going on, but it's engaging because the actors are really good. So, um, second season of Revenge is out there, and if you're a fan of the show, getting primed for that uh, that third season, ready to start up, go for it.
1: Wait, season eight of Criminal Minds is out. The end. <laughs>
0: there we go. You know, uh, this I, I've seen. I've seen a few episodes of this show, and uh, it's all right. I like uh, again I like the cast here too why not Mark that's it really that's it that's it okay.
1: another criminal mind All season right.
0: in the books okay fine another criminal mind season uh, while we're at it first season of elementary with Johnny Lee Miller and Lucy Liu um I didn't even know this existed. This is this is how, how like fragmented television is getting. This came and I was like, really? This is a, this is a show. Johnny Lee Miller's on a show. Lucy Liu's on a show. Uh, I don't understand. Um, you know what's interesting? Th- th- this is like the the counterpart, the antithesis, or the complement to uh, Sherlock, the UK series with the uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, right. who's not going to be on that show much longer because he's probably going to win best actor for the Fifth Estate. And then uh, he, he's not going to want to be on television. Star Trek
1: Into Darkness?
0: No, a uh, Fifth Estate. Stop oh. it, go away. Uh, no, but here Johnny Lee Miller plays Sherlock Holmes, and uh, in the present day, and uh, Joan Watson is played by Lucy Liu. How's that? Lucy Liu plays Watson. I like
1: right? that. Why not? Why not? Yeah, why
0: not? It's uh, you know, look, we're 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 playing with the whole Sherlock Holmes lore anyway. Um, I'll tell you I've always liked Johnny Miller as an actor always liked him uh, I always thought he kind of got a, a raw deal during that time when a lot of his colleagues were, uh, were stepping up and getting some big parts and I'm glad to see him get this he is very good, he's engaging and uh, it feels very Sherlock Holmes-y. I li- I, you know it's not quite Sherlock but uh, it's, it's a, a smart enough contemporary take on the, uh, the whole Sherlock Holmes lore that uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do for subsequent seasons so, yeah, give give that one a shot. First season is always a little clumsy. This one's less clumsy than most, but it it, it uh, let's see where it goes. I think you're digging it. Uh, that's all right. And then uh, <laughs> season season 2 of Star Trek Enterprise on is on Blu-ray. Mark does not consider this canon. Uh, you know what I can, It should be
1: shot out of a canon. You know what you know what I, I
0: consider canon and you know why this is canon? Uh, because do you know who plays the captain on this?
1: The guy from Quantum Leap. Uh,
0: no, the guy from Canon. The fat guy, William uh, Conrad. Conrad. Yeah. How oh, dare you? That was say. a terrible joke.
1: I I, I, I tried to. I know. Support you as you much know as what.
0: I could. Honestly, Star Trek: Enterprise is not as bad as everybody makes it out. It's just that there were so many Star Trek series by this time. They, they, were, there was, there was, the, the well was starting to kind of run dry. Uh, but this is on Blu-ray. It looks really nice. These shows were always well-shot. Uh, Blu-ray shows off the, uh, the the makeup effects of all of the the funky looking aliens very nicely so why the hell not why not do it uh, some cool extras here including a three part documentary on the, uh, the entire second season a lot of behind the scenes stuff cast interviews crew interviews and some audio commentaries in certain episodes it's just like it's, it's Trek lore galore you can spend hours on this just watching the series listening to commentaries watching the stuff you wouldn't leave the house for a week not for a week uh and then uh let's see real quickly, The Walking Dead complete third season. Mark, you okay? You're you're like uh vegging out over there.
1: I'm fine. I'm you, just to drone on uh, about am crap uh, well, talk about.
0: All right, well there we go. I'll uh, you uh, I'll let you I'll let you tie us up with that. Walking Dead is the uh, third season on Blu-ray. Um I, I'm not as enamored of this show. We should have Corey on one of these days to just tell us why this is just so astounding. Because I'm so over zombies. I'm so over them. Zombies are cool. I'm just done with zombies. They're they're it's. World it's, War
1: Three. Uh, World War Three. World War Z. Cool.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm done with zombies. And I and I okay. and I think on television it's a little bit tired. I understand why people like this show. It's very well done, and it's it's very you know twisty and turny. And it, it, you know production value and intensity goes a long way. Audio commentaries on here are, in, are certainly interesting. There's a lot to talk about, but uh, you know it's still it's zombies. And uh, again, this is plugging the new season, which begins in October. So the uh, the fourth season begins in uh, just a couple of months. Mark,
1: <laughs> okay,
0: I will let you explain what that Da Vinci thing is all about.
1: Uh, you will right after I talk about uh, the second season of Once Upon a Time. On oh ABC. yeah, yeah. This is a surprise hit for ABC. Uh, if you have not seen it, it's about uh, how do I explain this? It, uh, it's a story about how the Evil Queen casts. That this show sp-
0: confuses the crap out of me. No, I, it's I, about
1: how, no, it's very simple. It's about how the Evil Queen casts this spell that traps all these fairy tale, fairy tale characters, including Snow White and Prince Charming, in uh, modern day Maine. Okay. And so you got the fairy tale people, and you got the modern day people, and it's one of those. Sorts of shows that like yeah, there was a movie. What was the animated film that came out earlier? You no, know, late last year, where like Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, the Tooth Fairy. Yeah, all the the the, the, the
0: was uh, it was called the Avengers.
1: <laughs> it was an animated film where they got. Them I all know, together. It was, the whole idea is that if we get them all together, the Guardians, the Guardians, yeah, whatever it was called right. Yeah, uh, it's it's kind of sort of like that. Yeah, look, it's it, it's a it's a movie on it's a, it's a show on ABC. It definitely speaks to their you know that Disney demographic. The the adults can kind of get a little bit of a groove out of it Because it's really well shot Pretty well cast uh, It's got some exciting parts And of course, you know, the kids love it Because there's, you know, Jiminy Cricket Who here right. been renamed something else But yeah. there's Jiminy Cricket And there's Snow White And whatever And there's Prince Charming yada, yada, So yada, yada. I, I see how it crosses demographics But that said Look, it was written by these two guys from Lost So you know it's hopelessly confusing and, uh, and uh, I don't know if that's a good thing but um, here we have the second season which doesn't do all that much to uh, answer the questions from the first season but uh, if you do like this show I would definitely pick up uh, season two of Once Upon a Time a lot of uh, bonus features on that and then uh, what else do we have wait we have that Da Vinci
0: damn thing which I, I also don't get Huh? Uh, honestly Once Upon a Time I have, I've tried to watch this show so many times I can't follow it it just it, ter- it turns my brain into, into, into a pretzel it doesn't make sense my mother-in-law loves it though go figure
1: why does your mother all love that way go? She
0: just can't get enough of it. Every time every time we're over there, she just says, you've got to watch this. Look, the queen with the shri- the thing, and he's going to do the fizz. And it's she's just on the edge of her seat. And she's on pins and needles about something that's going to happen. And then, you know, Robert Carlyle gets bad teeth. And then they're clean again. And then they're ugly again. And then there's a witch. And then she's, like, wearing a dress. And then she's wearing a headdress. And then it looks like something from Power Rangers. And then it doesn't. And I don't understand it doesn't make any sense right. to me. So anyway, Da Vinci's Demons,
1: what's the deal? It's a weird little show. It's uh, it's kind of this British American co-production, I think it might be. Yeah. And um, it's on stars, and it's all about this Leonardo da Vinci. He's like 25 years old, and he works for Lorenzo uh, Medici, and he's trying to be a da Vinci. superhero. He's
0: trying to be a superhero?
1: He's trying to do what Da Vinci did, which is uh, kills zombies. He kills zombies. <laughs> Um,
0: Leonardo da Vinci's zombie hunt, zombie slayer.
1: I mean, the whole thing with like, they they really build up Da Vinci to be this character who is almost supernatural in his ability to like, you know, invent these things that's gonna like, save the world and and, and advance mankind in terms of science and adventure and and whatever. Um, But it's it's a funky little show. I mean, I I, I don't know that I would like, look at this as a documentary. I wouldn't necessarily like, you know, base a term paper on it, but um, it's from David Goyer who wrote uh, the Dark Knight Trilogy. Yeah. And obviously this must be something that is near and dear to his heart because he can go on and do a million superhero films. He also wrote uh, Man of Steel. And this obviously is something he found interesting to tackle. Um, so it's a lot of uh, adventure stuff. It's like there's a bit of natural treasure in it. There's a bit of uh, Sherlock in it. And, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting. It's a little ridiculous, but, I, you know, if you, if you like Da Vinci and you like the scientific uh, stuff that he developed and he invented... Even though it does have that, you know, cheesy Da Vinci Code cheeseness to it. Yeah. I, I, I just said cheesy Da Vinci Code cheesiness to it, didn't yes, I? Yes, you did. I did. Uh, there still might be some fun to it. All right. Into it. It's on Star. Okay. Well, there it is.
0: That's it. We are done. And, uh, Mark, do we have any uh, sign-offs? You're not going to do That's the Truth Ruth for, for Alexander, are you?
1: Well, okay, I will. Okay. In fact, I'll, I'll even throw in the one thing that he obviously wants me to throw in. Yeah. As we say goodbye, yes. The last thing you will hear on this week's show is and that's the truth root. <laughs>